Welcome to OESA's Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, president of Motor Minds and host of SiriusXM's Cars and Culture on Business Channel 132. With all of the supplier conversation focused around the transformation to battery electric vehicles, there are elements related to the shift that are not part of the conversation, but will be and should be. Those conversations are related to future forms of energy, charging, and the impact on the power grid, parts manufacturing and raw materials, all front and center as the industry takes a different shape. And questions abound for battery makers and parts producers related to carbon and energy impacts. There are a broad set of implications around future SEC rules as well, and those that relate to data and reporting. SAP is investigating the answers with a layer of complexity related to public access to energy and looking downstream to ensure suppliers are in compliance with future trends. What should suppliers be considering related to sustainability, reporting requirements, and source management? And where is the industry headed as it relates to supply and demand for the rest of the year? In part two of our two-part interview, and ahead of SAP's Sapphire event this month, Bill Newman of SAP outlines the specifics behind those changes and challenges. SAP is watching those key areas that will be critical to the development of the industry in the foreseeable future. Bill Newman is SAP's Industry Executive Advisor for Automotive. Continuing our conversation with Bill Newman, and again, the SAP Sapphire event is May 10th through 12th in Orlando at the Orange County Convention Center. So Bill, let's talk about sustainability. And there's a lot of talk around sustainability almost on a daily basis now, particularly as it relates to electric vehicles and the onslaught. And we've talked on this show um, many times about the onslaught of product uh, that will be in front of the uh, consumer. But you look at it, SAP looks at it from a different angle as well. Sustainability, the uh, power grid, parts manufacturing, raw materials. Tell me a little bit about what is at the top of your list when you consider sustainability in 2022. Well, Jason, again, thanks for uh, welcoming me back. It's uh, good to be with you again. You know, we personally, I look at sustainability in the old classic triple bottom line so that I'm not just making in my work or in my personal life, I'm not just making decisions based on what's only economic important to me. You know, I'm considering, you know, social aspects and I'm considering also environmental aspects. I spend part of my time in, a, in an agri- agricultural area living in, in Southern California. Um, I, have, I, have, I have a son that owns, you know, uh, a large, a large uh, acreage farm up in Northern Michigan. So, you know, and, and a history of, of that in, in our families. So it's, um, Kind of being close to the dirt, if you will, is kind of important culturally for our family. But as we look at what does that mean as consumers in in terms of, say, for example, green buying or social impact to what we do and how we spend our money, uh, I think that that is certainly top of mind uh, for a number of our uh, millennial uh, friends and colleagues but, but also across a broad set of the population. Sustainability, therefore, means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, and I think that one of the things that we look at when, uh, when we consider, you know, in our daily lives, what is sustainable is the classic 
battery electric vehicle. So let's just say, for example, I'm driving a battery electric vehicle. I feel really good about my purchase. Maybe I got a nice rebate from the federal government because I electrified my transportation. But you know what? That vehicle is not particularly environmental friendly if all of the electricity I'm getting to power it is coming from a a coal-powered power plant. So the, you have to look downstream and upstream in terms of where's the energy coming from around a particular product use or behavior, and then B, how is the uh, environmental impact uh, occurring as you're actually um, using that, that product or, or component. And it's gonna get really interesting very, very quickly, you know, and, and for a number of things. So first of all, uh, different markets, like EU I think is 2030 and the state of California here in North America is in 2035, where you and I and most listeners aren't gonna be able to, to purchase an internal combustion engine vehicle for, for personal use. Um, so that gets interesting. So now we have this big infrastructure. You know, how are you going to charge? You, is everybody going to be expected to have solar? Probably not. You know, in their homes. So uh, having public access to energy, whether it's electric or petrol, and seeing the change and transition from, as we view them now, gas stations and service stations to more energy stations, that's already in flight. I think the other thing that's going to be very interesting, and we're already seeing this in Europe, and the SEC here in the United States has made some proposed changes to disclosure laws um, that are under uh, peer review, is is this whole concept around um, scope reporting. And I won't I won't go into the whole accounting around it, but basically it gets back to that idea of what energy did you use for the parts that go into your vehicle or your or your product. Um, how is the energy that you're using to put that product together for sale? And then what's the energy impact, uh, carbon impact and energy impact as you, as, some, as a consumer uses the vehicle? Those are very difficult, very data intensive areas to consider. And one might think, well, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I build like a consumer product, like a hairdryer. I can figure all that stuff out from my supplier. Okay, fine. You know, that's a, that's a supplier management issue. And that's how most automotive companies are kind of treating it right now. But if you go a little deeper, if I'm a battery maker, does that mean I have to go back to the hard mineral smelting site or the mine itself? to figure out what the carbon and energy impact would be for that scope reporting and and my disclosure. You know, listeners probably remember the Dodd-Frank Act not not too long ago where we actually had to go back and figure out, you know, where all of the different minerals in certain areas were coming from in certain parts of the world. And that was definitely a reporting nightmare. We're opening this up now to a much broader set and a much broader set of applications uh, with these proposed SEC rules. And, you know, Jason, based on what I'm seeing, those those rules have some, some pretty strong tailwinds right now. They're gonna go through different standard boards, reviews and peer reviews over the next several months. But there's a really good chance that those SEC rules are going to be phased in beginning in next year in 2023. So, we have a lot of customers who are asking us a lot of questions. And of course, nobody knows 
much other than the proposals. You know, we have green buyers that want to understand, you know, what is a company, how a company is making good on their stated sustainability goals. We've got suppliers that are being asked at increasingly more intensive levels to, to, to uh, make attestations for where their products are coming from and their raw materials and how they're being built. Um, and one could really imagine that our world could be a little different moving forward around some of these supplier management, some of these reporting requirements as it relates to trying to do the good thing and live in a more eco-friendly, sustainable world. So what should suppliers bill be considering as they look out over the next five to 10 years related to sustainability? How, how are you advising companies to navigate this? Well, just like any supplier management initiative in the past, whether it was quality management or whether it was, um, you know, Dodd-Frank or any any roll-up, you know, communication early is, is really important. You know, suppliers should talk to their customers, understand what their view of sustainability is, try to understand, you know, many different OEMs and startup companies have very, 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 very different stated sustainability goals. So, for example, Toyota has stated pretty much onboarding to every single United Nations sustainability goal that, that is available. And they have action plans against each one of them on a global level. Uh, and that's a really great example because Toyota does an amazing job speaking with their suppliers. I know that they host at least one town hall here with OESA every every year. Um, but the different customers in the automotive space have different stated goals and different ways of communication. So suppliers should really have that communication early uh, regarding broad sustainability goals. They should add to that list the uh, where the, their customers feel that these new SEC and EU reporting requirements are, are going to be uh, phased in and how they want to interact with them. Um, and particularly for suppliers getting beginning to know a little bit deeper about downstream inputs into you know their manufacturing processes for their product products, their components, uh, any any subassemblies, really understanding a little deeper about how those are made with what materials. And, and if you don't have clear line of sight on that now, begin that evaluation process as to, what it would take to have better line of sight. Because again, you know, for those of, you know, we all operate in a global environment, right, Jason? So much of us, much of this work is already being done for EU and other markets already. But again, um, taking this a little deeper into what the SEC here in the United States is looking at, that again, just adds another layer of complexity. A huge topic at the May 10th through 12th event, SAP Sapphire will be supply demand. And it's been a topic, of course, over the last uh, two years that has gained increased momentum where things are happening in that space. Talk to me a little bit about supply and demand. Well, so again, we've we've talked in a, in a previous episode here about some of the industrial policies and more around uh, uh, reshoring. And I think that that's going to be a very interesting topic as, as we as we kind of balance out, you know, post COVID AC, as, as Jason, you coined after COVID, um, how we could uh, potentially uh, source more on a more regional basis. So I think that that structurally is, is going to help. 
Um, most organizations are kind of following the advice and, and guidelines of OESA around the supplier barometer index, where we see kind of a leveling of that confidence level, uh, probably by Q3, I think, in the last report that I saw, in, at least in January earlier this year. So that's kind of our feeling, is that things are going to kind of settle themselves out, but they're going to look differently. You know, um, SAP has been fortunate to work with a number of our customers that have had uh, a, a competitive, a huge competitive advantage around line of sight in, in terms of uh, uh, sales and operations planning, inventory management, and balancing in, inbound inventory, supplier communications, all of those things at both the OE and the major supplier level. And and they've they've benefited from that in a number of ways. And and we'll we're really excited to have um, uh, a number of panels and a number of speakers at our at our May conference to touch on this. But I'll I'll just give everybody a bit of a sneak peek here. I mean being able to have that line of sight upstream downstream into your supply base is, is hugely critical. Uh, being able to once you do recognize that you might have uh, a capacity issue with a supplier, you know, uh, in the in the unfortunate situation that you have to do some uh, resourcing, being able to do that quickly vis-a-vis um, -vis, um, our business networks, uh, that is certainly uh, of benefit. And we're beginning to see this whole demand sensing bridge between OEs and major suppliers at a digital level. And I think that type of collaboration existed in the past. It was taken to a new level during the pandemic when we when we started after our shutdown, we started building parts again. Um, and I think that that collaboration, it may have felt, it may have felt a little bit strained as first because we just had to get stuff done. But moving forward, I think that forced everybody to a deeper level of understanding part flow, part availability, part availability into available vehicles. So, you know, suppliers are ready. They've got their parts, but they can't put them in vehicles that can be sold right away. So, you know, there's a lot of homework on the OE part too in order to do this because, you know, suppliers could be doing everything correctly and yet they're still being asked to produce product to go into vehicles and they don't know when they're going to get paid for those products because typically they get paid when the vehicle is sold. So there's a lot of work. I think that there's much higher level of collaboration and we're really excited to be able to share some of those stories um, at our Sapphire conference uh, in, in May. May 10th through the 12th in Orlando. As Bill mentioned, lots of topics to cover there and uh, lots of topics already covered here. And it is always a pleasure to be with you, Bill. Lots of insight and, and analysis. And we look forward to uh, talking to you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. Look forward to being back on the show soon. That's this week's episode of Automotive Insiders. Remember to follow the program wherever your favorite podcast appears. And thanks again to SAP's Bill Newman. And thanks for listening to OASA's Automotive Insiders. I'm Jason Stein, and we'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>